Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Hartham and Lothian Football Club, who've shown us the best and worst of the team in the last week or so since we've last been on air after putting us down in the dumps on Saturday and lifting us right back up on Tuesday. The ups and downs of being a football fan and being a Hearts fan. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. <laughs> a tale of two cities, Edinburgh and Kirkcaldy and Charles Dickens. Not sure he had that in mind when he wrote that particular book. <laughs> Uh, probably not would be my <laughs> would be my guess. Um, we've, we we do have two matches to talk about. We, we've got quite a busy show this week, though, so we'll probably have to um, uh, summarise some, certain areas. So we don't have to talk about whether or not I might have spotted a red card at one point in the game on Tuesday night. Oh, so you're aware of it now? You, you know he was sent off now? I've just, I've just checked soccer way now and just found yeah. out. <laughs> By the way, I always I always love it when we have a guest on. We've had some really good guests. We've been very fortunate over the what, two and a bit years we've been doing this um, to have some really good guests on. Uh, we've got a really good one coming up today. The Hearts assistant coach, Lee McCulloch. And what a career he's had. So that's that's still to come. And of course, I'd rather look back at the 4-0 than the 3-2 defeat. But we'll do both. We will. We'll, we'll look at both games. Um, we'll talk about some of the key points from, from those. We'll speak about a new signing, which of course is factored into our discussion of at least one of those games. Um, we will then speak to Lee McCulloch, like, like Mark says, really looking forward to that one. And uh, then we might have time for a quiz and a quiz. possibly yes, look ahead to Dunfermline. Even if it's a four-hour podcast. The, the fans <laughs> are tweeting in their droves. They want this quiz. Ryan McGowan, like 12 hours after everyone else, needs this quiz so he can <laughs> send us the answers when we already know them. Okay, give the people what they want. Yes. Okay, first up, so Hearts had a double header against Wraith Rovers. It started at Tynecastle on Saturday when Hearts went into a match against a side that they were without a defeat against in 20 competitive games, dating back over 27 years. They went into the game with eight wins out of eight at home in all competitions this season against a side who hadn't played in over three weeks and had only trained once since a COVID outbreak had ravaged their squad. It was all set up to be a nice, comfortable victory. And that's that's when you get caught out, isn't it? <laughs> It is, and now we move on to the Tuesday night when we won four 0 Or are we having to kind of we will, post mortem here? Well, I tell you what, I I got an email and uh, oh, okay. I, I say this um, when we get these. If someone takes the time to to write us a, a long and detailed email, I do like to to read it out That's if fair. I can. So this is from Bruce, who and this was after the Saturday game. So Bruce is maybe feeling a bit better. Now, after the Tuesday game, but I hope so. But it, it covers some good points. So here we go. So um, Bruce says, "Hi lads, enjoy the podcast every week. Although um, never been moved to email until today's shambles. So this was very fresh. You must have sent this um, the evening after the game. This is just a bit of catharsis for me, really. But we'd appreciate your thoughts on the sentiment. Um, you could argue that Jamie McDonald probably ended up as man of the match today, but it was yet another turgid display from a Nielsen side." 
Whilst there's no doubt some results and performances have been very good, you could argue that we've not actually played well for a full 90 minutes all season. Dundee at home maybe, but even in that game we were under the cosh for a spell. My main gripe is with our work off the ball, especially for our midfield three. In this case, Irving, Halliday and Naismith, but it's been the same for a long time. Time and time again, we see Hearts players at the back giving the ball away as they look up and no one to find a pass to. We're forced to knock it long or in the hope or recycle it to by going backwards and then by knocking it long anyway. Sorry, I made a mess of that sentence. Uh, our midfield and forwards seem to offer next to no movement off the ball when we are in possession. We haven't done so since June left, in my opinion. Uh, we know Berra's not great on the ball, but the short, simple pass never seems to be offered by our midfield for him. There's no running to create a bit of space to take command of the ball. It goes long or out short to Kingsley, who, if the opposition have done any kind of homework, is man-marked as they leave Berra in possession. We appear to make no attempt to create a simple pass for him, so it goes back the way and gets thumped long anyway by Gordon. Not to excuse Berra, because his distribution is often terrible, but we also seem to expect him to pass like Pirlo and then get frustrated when he doesn't. Um, when we manage to move forward, we often end up with fullbacks in possession, four or five players strung across the 18-yard line in one flat line, but zero movement from anyone, so the player in possession is left with trying to dink it in behind an already deep defence or playing a high ball. It happens time and time again. When the opposition has the ball, we don't seem to have a midfield who can break up play, a midfielder who can break up play. The defence is currently getting pelters, and rightly so, Easiest bet with Hearts at the moment is both teams to score, but they are continually left 1v1 because their midfield is non-existent in a, in a defensive sense. So, whilst lots of folk are clamouring for a new centre-half, we definitely need one, and a new striker, uh, Boyce not currently doing it either. For me, a mobile midfielder who can actually tackle and pass the ball forward on a regular basis should be the priority. I think Irving is a great prospect, but of all our central midfield options... Um, uh, sorry, all the centre midfield options are limited in terms of either mobility or tackling. When was the last time you thought of a Hearts midfielder saying he's covered every blade of grass tonight? Keep up the good work, chaps. Enjoy my listen as I jog around Musselburgh every week. Cheers, Bruce. Um, so it, it's funny because a lot of this will be countered by Tuesday, but I think at the time, you know, after Saturday's game, that does really highlight a lot of the problems that we saw. It does. It's a very good email from Bruce. Some will agree with most. Some will agree with some. Uh, it's, it's an opportunity to, to, to kind of vent. And I think we were all feeling something similar after a performance in which, do you know what? If it had not been for Jamie McDonald, we might have taken something from that game mm-hmm. uh, or even won the game. But I think it would have papered over cracks yeah. given, the, given the performance. I'd be a lot more worried if we didn't have Tuesday's performance um, to look back on as well, because I think it's fair to say that a lot of, of the wrongs were righted. Yeah. Um, a lot of the concerns were relieved, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it was just a blip. We saw it against Dunfermline, we saw it against Dundee, and we saw it at home to Wraith as well. The problem that we have, Laurie, is, is we going back to what we said at the start of this season, where you were very boyish. Boyish, bullish. My, if ever you're going to get words mixed up, that's maybe not, not the right one to do. You were very bullish on on our season ahead, and I was. I'm yes. not even. I'm not even sure if you. And, and this isn't. A, I kind of told you so because I was hopeful that you were right. I wasn't as as bullish. Um, I still had us winning the league. Pretty. You definitely weren't as boyish. No chance. <laughs> not at my age. Um, but we we didn't expect 
to have lost as many games as, as we have. But no. the game on Tuesday did alleviate a lot of, of the concerns. But it shouldn't mean that we just toss that performance no. aside. And, and, and by the way, I know we've got Lee McCulloch coming up later and, and Robbie and Gordon Forrest and, and the players won't need to be told that. Um, I, I don't know what Robbie's pre-match team talk was on on Tuesday night, but you know what? It wouldn't have surprised me if it was that wasn't good enough. Go and show everyone that that was just a blip and let them see what you're really capable of. Now, that bar has been set to where we thought it should have been set in the first place. We've got to continue. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd argue that we, we've seen the worst of, and I said it um, at the start of the, the podcast, but I'd possibly say Saturday was the worst performance from Hearts this season, certainly for much of it, and Tuesday was the best performance for, for yeah. much of it. Um, I mean, I guess one of the things to put to you, so against Wraith in the home game, four two three one, Gordon and Goals, Smith, Halkett, Berra, Kingsley, Halliday, Irving, Freer, Naismith, uh, Freer, Naismith Gary Mackay, Stephen, and Boyce up front. 72 hours later, there's three changes to that team. So Popescu, Walker and Ginelli in. Uh, Berra, Naismith and Freer out. Similar, uh, well, kind of similar setup in terms of um, Gordon and Goals, Smith, Popescu, Halkett, Kingsley at the back, Halliday, Irving sitting, Ginelli, Walker, Gary Mackay, Stephen and Boyce up front. Uh, obviously, Henderson was on for Ginelli pretty early on. But it's a very similar team. I, I mean, you can certainly pick out some changes at the back. Berra was out, Popescu came in, and they also swapped Halkett and Popescu um, from left to right uh, with each other in the central defensive positions. I thought Popescu looked as good as he has been for Hearts. He hasn't convinced a lot at the time, but I thought he looked fairly comfortable and composed on Tuesday. Um, Walker coming in, possibly for Naismith. Was it a big thing with personnel? It just To me, it felt like an overall much better attitude, much better tempo, much better drive. Like that first half against Wraith on Tuesday night, we could easily, if it had been 5-0 hearts at half time, I, I don't think there would have been many complaints in terms of the chances we'd had. Whereas the first half at Wraith on Saturday, we were lucky it was only 1-0 to Wraith. Mm-hmm. It was a pumping uh, on Tuesday night and it, it could easily have been similar to the 10-0 against Cowden Beef because they haven't played, I think, since the 29th of December yeah. prior to the game at Tynecastle on a Saturday. So I think they were, I think it was just a perfect storm of, of us with a, a boot up the arse, them tired, the red card, but even, even before the red card, um, we'd, we'd scored a couple and we could easily have scored more. I think what we've seen is, is that, that Jamie McDonald has, has shown why, um, He's, he's still playing at a decent level, but he's also shown why why he should probably be playing at a higher level mm-hmm. with uh, with what he's done. Um, the game on, on Tuesday night at, at Wraith, with the personnel that you mentioned, Josh Ginelli starting and Gary Mackay-Steven starting. I said last week, I want I want to see those three, Ginelli, Boyce and Mackay-Steven. And, and we saw it because the home game, um, Freer was starting on one side and, and Ginelli was on the bench, but we finally saw the three players um, in attack, and Jamie Walker in the number 10 role. Is Jamie Walker a better player when, when Stephen Naismith's not on the field? Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure, because we have seen him play well without Naismith. We've seen him play well with Naismith. We've seen him poor without Stephen, and we've seen him good um, without Stephen. So 
that's what we want from Jimmy Walker. We know it's it's capable, and that's why when it when his performance dips, it's noticeable because he because of what he's capable of doing, and, and we've seen that. So Ginelli would be a concern for me, and it was interesting that that you and Murray on Twitter has had this kind of opinion about. While everyone else is saying, we'll give him as long a deal as possible, we'll have to get him signed up. He's like, whoa, just steady on here. Let's let's just see if he is uh, going to be able to to kind of play um, a whole host of games, or are we going to be signing a, a guy on a longer term deal who who is injury prone? Um, so so that's one thing. The other thing he, he he was speaking about is that Jamie Walker should be one of the first names on the team sheet. Well, it's up to Jamie to prove that. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's up to Jamie to show that that's the case. Liam Boyce was through on goal, and I thought, ooh, um, where, it wasn't a lack of pace, um, but I, I still think he's he's my first name on the team sheet, Liam Boyce. Uh, it was a good goal. Could have yeah. had more. Um, and as far as at the back is concerned, I think the key for, for Hearts over the past couple of days has been the, the little-known Romanian eBay um, magic headband that has been uh, <laughs> that has been bought by Popescu because he's he, he's the player that we think we signed initially. All the St. Mirren players as fans saying this is this is what he's like, and we were all very infused by that. But he it was an inauspicious start, but much better. So it's it's just such a dichotomy of what happened at the weekend. And what happened on Tuesday night? I'm glad it was that way around, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 some good points you make about Walker and about Boyce, who I think, and I'm guilty as a lot of people of sometimes not underestimating him, but maybe being critical and you know, forgetting. He, he is a good striker. A lot of his movement is very impressive when you, you, you take a look at that. And he does finish enough chance. You know, he's the top scorer in the division. He's into double figures um, for the season now. I, I think sometimes he maybe goes... Not under the radar, radar, but does get some criticism. Um, and I think we've also got to talk about the man who um, was signed since we were last on. Uh, the man whose name we eventually decided on, Mr. Armand Nongdouillet, um, the French-born uh, Ivory Coast striker, who came on and became the first ever Hearts player to make his debut as a substitute and score two goals. Mm. And although he had... Very few touches, actually, and it certainly didn't look like he was up to match fitness or match speed yet. Still managed to grab a couple of goals, and uh, I think the second one especially, I, I freeze-framed it on the Scarves Around the Funnel Twitter page and shared it. The leap is fantastic. You know, he looks like he's about four or five feet off the ground. It's not quite that, but it, he looks like that. Um, and I think, in some ways, is that just what we need? Not, not, Not necessarily for all games, but... I think one of the gripes for, and we've both had it this season and, and previous seasons as well, maybe the hearts of the lack of a plan B. Um, and this season especially, I think it's been evident. In games against the likes of Alawa where we lost or Dunfermline, where we couldn't find a way to kind of pass our way up the field, um, the team were too organised and, and, well, and defended well against too us. Too predictable a lot yeah, of the time. And we didn't really have that option over the top, not necessarily just to play as a, a high ball to a target man, but someone to hold the ball up or someone to get crosses into and actually, yeah. you know, Boyce is a decent striker, but he's not a target man. And no. I think he showed straight away, it gives us something we've not had. One final word about Liam Boyce. I love that he never hides. He's, he's, he's just yeah. the type of striker I love. And you know what, if he misses a chance, give me it again. 
give me it again. It's like the NFL at the weekend. Michael Hardman fumbled the ball, and the Buffalo Bills, he plays for the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Buffalo Bills scored following that. And the players went over to him, and he, he had his coat over his head and basically wanted the, the kind of world to open up and swallow him whole. But the players were like, hey, it's just a blip. We'll make, we'll, 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 we'll make sure that you're okay. We'll sort you out. You've just got to keep your head in the game. He ends up with a, a super run of about 50 yards and then ends up getting a touchdown as well because they wanted to make sure that this player wasn't kind of ostracized um, and, and didn't want to hide. It's just a learning, it's a learning process. And Liam Boyce is at the stage of his career now whereby he's had bumps in the road along the way. But I love how he never hides. He, he's the guy, if he makes a mistake, he wants it straight back. Give me it. I'll score this time rather than, oh, God, I'm not sure if I will score this time because I've, I've just missed. Love Liam Boyce. Um, and I think we're lucky to have him. So, Nondwile, um hasn't played much, you're right, isn't fit. Can levitate. Goodness me. What is that? <laughs> it's not a jump, that's levitation. Great delivery. And I, I, I know there's excitement at Tynecastle. If they can get proper wingers and decent delivery, they're going to have fun with this kid. But that's another thing about Boyce. If there's a tension on someone else, if Robbie does go two up top or, or whatever he does, the attention's not all going to be on one man or one player. So Nondwile's, they're going to have to, he's a conundrum right now for the opposition because Robbie's right. There's very few players in Scottish football, never mind in the championship, that are similar to him. But he's no use if we don't give him the ball. So I'm sure they're working on that as well. Just, just really good. And, and I remember from what I saw on a very grainy small screen, it looked like he had a really decent opportunity and he, he could have got three, but he missed it. The one where it came across and it was his follow-up and it was kind of on the line, but it didn't go over the line. Was yeah, I I thought that, I th- just because I was getting everything wrong on Tuesday, I thought the referee had given a goal for a moment with that, but he'd given a so foul. Did, so, did the comment, so did the race commentators, yeah. It wasn't just me then, fine, okay. No, it wasn't, it wasn't just you. But it looked like it was it was him for a chance to, to get another goal, but early signs are promising, yeah. if you're not. Definitely, yeah. But well, hopefully he can add to his two goals on Saturday against Dunfermline. Um, we might as well talk about that now because we're going to get Lee McCulloch on in just a moment and then I'll probably end with a quiz because otherwise you'll be on at me. So since we're talking about um, the, the last game, we'll look at the next game because Hearts are nine points clear now of Dunfermline, although they have played a game more than the Pars and Dundee. Um, big game, a, a chance now to avenge a defeat that was... Mm-hmm. The, the the first real disappointment of the season at East End Park, um, so I think Hearts fans will expect a reaction, um, uh, and I, I guess it's one of these games where it can be have a big bearing on it because if Dunfermline can come and do what Wraith Rovers did, suddenly you know yep. we're not looking so comfortable at the top. I'll be interested to see the team selection. Um, I wouldn't start Londuley just yet. I'd, I'd, I'd rather have him off the bench for the last twenty thirty minutes. Uh, instead of starting a player who's not 100%, he's, he's, he's nowhere near 100% yet. And that's what, what Robbie Lee and Gordon will, will be doing to try and get him up to 100% over the next few weeks. It, th- there is the option to maybe play him for an hour or bring him on. So whatever they do, I'd, I'd bring him on. But I, I'm just intrigued to see if, if Robbie does go uh, Armand and, and Liam in attack. Um, what does that mean for Stephen Naismith? And what does it mean with, with Josh Ginelli uh, likely to, to miss more time? I, I just I think you, you stick with, with what you had. I'd give Ewan Henderson the star, um, give him the opportunity 
mm-hmm. from from the beginning, and, and Gary McKay, Stephen on the other flank. I'd play Jamie as as the number ten. I wouldn't make too many changes. Um, obviously, enforced ones you have to. But I mean, Popescu and Halkett's your centre back pairing, Kingsley and Smith. It's interesting that after last Saturday, right? Because it's a totally different podcast now than it would have been had we not had that game on Tuesday. Oh, this would have been a, yeah. a post-mortem. Um, well, that email from probably, Bruce would have been the main focus for the entire show, well, basically. Exactly, yeah. and Lee McCulloch probably quite rightly, because I would have done the same. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm busy on Thursday, you know how we'd arrange... <laughs> because, He's at the tannin island. <laughs> hey, what, let, let's, let's let people in on a little secret here. The interview's already been done um, with, with Lee McCulloch, so that, that's, that's why we're, we're kind of nice. So it's not like Lee's in in a room somewhere waiting for us to finish this this preamble before he, he goes, yeah, I've been listening in. So he's got no idea what we were t- talking about now or, or post. Um, so we do know it's a really, really good interview um, with, with Lee McCulley. He's got a really good sense of humour. But but we, we don't know what he, he's and, the, and Robbie and Gordon are working on in training. So I'll be intrigued to see um, what they do. But if... We didn't have that result on on Tuesday. The social hard social media on Saturday, like oof, poisonous. And I can understand it because it was just total frustration after that insipid performance. Uh, there were those that were saying, "Do you know what? Our best centre backs are probably Michael Smith and Stephen Kingsley together." Um, there, there was a lot a lot going on. So thankfully, a lot of the questions were answered on on Tuesday. But we've got to kick on. We've got to ensure that tempo. That's the other thing, Laurie. How many times this season have we asked on this podcast for a quick start? I asked for it at the end of last week's podcast. Never got it against Wraith in game one. Got it in game two. And then you asked for a reaction in the second half. And it's like, what, what was that, about 30 seconds or something? Yeah, indeed. Oh, dear. Anyway, well, I guess we'll, we'll move on. And you've ruined the magic of that I create by editing things together and <laughs> making it seem like it all flows. And, yeah, well, let's, let's go to the... The interview that was already done beforehand. <laughs> Jesus. You're meant to be the professional here. Just edit it, son, and put it in now. Well, we've been promoting this so far on Scarves Around the Funnel, and I'm delighted to say that we're now joined by the Hearts assistant coach, Lee McCulloch. Lee, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, on and thinking it's... about me to put me forward to, to come on your show. It's a pleasure. Uh, how's it been, first of all? Nice, easy question to start. How's it been since you and Gordon joined Robbie at Tynecastle? It's been, it's been great, actually, um, compared to the previous club we've been at, firstly. Um, a completely different environment um, coming in to the Orium, um, the training ground, uh, seeing the facilities there. Uh, you get a, you get a taste for uh, how big the club is, and then when you go down to Tynecastle, obviously I've been there before a couple of times, but um, seeing the new stand um, and walking in and just getting hit with the with the four stands, it was empty obviously and been empty, um, but you you get a real presence from it. It's a, a really really hard place to play for players. Um, I've, I've as I've witnessed and, and been experienced before. Um, but coming into the club is uh, was something that it's it's been the best um, football thing in, in my coaching career um, that's happened to me. Uh, and to work, You've, as you said, alongside uh, alongside Robbie and Gordon, um, mm. it's uh, 
it's really good. We to we to try and get the environment right coming off the back of last season. Um, I think four league games before uh, the official um, the the league officially got stopped. For I think it was four league games we won. So we to try uh, as a collective change the environment, change the mindset, um, and get the winning mentality back that that has been at heart for for many many years. How have you gone about and done that? I think it's uh, transparency with the players. Obviously, the manager's big on that. Um, he spoke to the players individually and as a group, and it's mine and Gordy's job to get about the players, uh, make sure we've got a playing model uh, that everybody understands uh, and we try to adhere to uh, most weeks. Um, and just getting the environment right, getting a smile back on the, the players' faces as they're coming into um, such good facilities at such a big club. Yes, it's got the demands, but you've got to embrace those demands when you're at a big club. And I think uh, the players turned it round very quickly. So I think they deserve uh, an enormous amount of credit. Now, we're going to get into your playing career and we're going to speak later about how close you maybe came to joining Hearts when, when you were at Motherwell. Laurie will get into that. I'll get into that as well and talk about some of the other things at Hearts. But you mentioned facilities at Tynecastle. What set, separates them or Tyne, the, the facilities at the Orium? What, what separates them from some of the other clubs that you've been to? I mean, you've been at big clubs, very big clubs. But I believe you think the facilities are, are up there, if not some of the best that you've, you've experienced. Yes, I've been fortunate enough to play with, with some big clubs uh, down in, in, in the English Premiership as well. Uh, with Wigan, although we come through the leagues and, and that progressed really quickly. But I think when, when you look at it as a whole, what, what the Orium offers um, with, with a vast amount of gyms it's got, the full-size indoor uh, pitch, the same size as Hamden, uh, the training pitches, the, the outside astro pitch, the recovery centre, uh, the meeting rooms, I, th I think all in, it's it's the best facility um, I've ever uh, I've ever worked at, and, and I have I'm not blowing my trumpet, but I have worked at a couple of good ones, and um, it, it's a real pleasure to begin in uh, and working at the Orium every day. And that aside, I go back to my point: the environment's got to be right. Uh, you've got to have the right kind of people. You've got to have people with a learning mindset as well. And I think we're 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 definitely getting there. Um, I, th I think we can, as a whole, improve and keep on improving, which we're going to need to if we've got aspirations to, to make a dent next season. Um, but I, I think we're, we're slowly and surely getting there. You obviously had um, a very successful playing career at Motherwell for seven years, Wigan, Rangers, Kilmarnock, Scotland, six titles, five cups, and obviously did pretty well for the national side as well. Um Motherwell, you were there till 2001. There were a few links with Hearts. How close was that to happening at times? Because it's sometimes hard to tell from, from tabloids and such. Yes, I, I actually remember it really well. Um, coming through the ranks at Motherwell, I think it was just trying to um, break into the first team. Firstly, get a, a YTS, as they called it back then, get the contract to turn professional, and then it's try to make your debut in the first team. And then once you're established, it's it's trying to kick on. And then I always had aspirations of going down south. But before any bids come in, um, I remember an agent calling me asking if I'd go to Harps, and, and I says I, I definitely would. 
Um, I knew the, the size of the club. I knew a couple of people in the dressing room. Um, and it was something that, that really appealed to me. Um, they put a bid in for me and Motherwell knocked it back. And I think that was, I think it was round about £1 million, which is a phenomenal amount of money, um, especially way back then. But Motherwell basically said they, they weren't letting me go. Um, and they sort of doubled my contract without making me sign an extension. Um, John Boyle, <laughs> a funny story actually, John Boyle was a chairman at the time and he flew me down to London um, and he says, this is, he took me out for dinner and he lived in Notting Hill and at that time the, the Notting Hill film was about, so he, his garden was where the film uh Get got uh, filmed, obviously. So we were sitting in. They says, "I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to double your contract. I don't want you to go. You don't even need to sign an extension. We will sell you because I know you want to go and play in England. Um, but I just want you to stay." And it's like, right, okay. I'll, I'll need to go and speak to my parents and, and think about it. He says, "Oh, and another note. We're sitting on the bench uh, where <laughs> where the two of them in Notting Hill sat with the, the camera come down for the top." Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's with the, the camera shown right on the two kind of meeting Hugh Grant and um, Julia, Julia Roberts, Roberts yeah. and uh, he says um, so hopefully now that we're here that this will make you stay at Motherwell so uh, I think what he said was he was going to knock, knock the money back and double my contract so I was up for it but it was out of my hands so yes it was close um, and I, I still speak to Jim Jeffries uh, about it when I see him round about training in the Orium he says I, I nearly made your hearts player son so um, that would have been that would have been phenomenal so that would have been about 99 then um, given the year Notting Hill was released so <laughs> let's not um, go down the Notting Hill route I get enough, <laughs> no. I get enough stick for that do you want to go down the John Boyle route instead then no thank you <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, a million pound. I mean, that would have, if that had gone through, that would have ended up making you Hearts record signing. Um, even, even to the, even to this day, given the highest signing Hearts, the highest amount Hearts have paid was um, seven years later when they paid eight hundred fifty thousand for Mirsad Bezlia. Um, that I take it, Mark, that would have been the. Um, SMG money still around that time, would it? Around that 1999 yeah. time, Jeffrey's well, was... They, they bought Gordon Petrich in 1999 and, and gave him a hell of a lot of money um, for that. I actually found a, an old BBC article, a quote from Pat Nevin said, there's almost, uh, sorry, there's only ever been one bid um, for, for Lee McCulloch. So this is the thing, it was, you went down as a pair, didn't you? You and, and Stephen McMillan. And he, he, so he basically... Yes. Yeah, ne Nevin's saying the deal with Hearts wasn't exactly a clear one million like everyone seems to believe. You're talking about a set payment before and then dependent on appearances. So the fact that this one is purely cash means we've not lost a great deal on it. Because Hearts at the time were being linked with Stephen McMillan as well, but it was you that was the one that, that they had their eye on. So it's, it's funny how your mind, that's 20 years ago, does it feel like that? No, it doesn't. Um, it certainly doesn't. I, I remember being quite nervous. And, and be, see, being brutally honest, if if I feel if I had went to Harps, I wasn't ready. I don't think I'd have been ready. Um, I was still, I still didn't have the belief in myself. I still, I wasn't at the top of my, really at the top of my game. Um, so I think you've probably got away with one now, to be brutally honest. <laughs> 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 
What do you feel was your best position? Because, I mean, that's one thing that, you know, you were an out-and-out striker, basically, when you first came through at Motherwell. But um, you often got played out wide later on, and then you you covered a lot of positions, especially at Rangers. Um, what do you feel was your best position? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, going back to it at Motherwell, I got the... Um, when, when Harps made the offer, when Wigan made the offer and eventually went down, I was playing as a striker, but I came through the ranks as a centre midfield player. And at that time, it was uh, Billy Davis, Paul Lambert, uh, Jamie Dolan, these sort of players. So under Tommy McLean and Alex McLean, so they played me wide, but it was like narrow, wide, a four or a five sometimes. And then when I went to Rangers, I'm sorry, at Wigan, I was striker, right midfield, centre midfield and left midfield. And then when I went to Rangers, Walter Smith says... I think he could play centre-half some. So I'm playing centre-half. I think the only position I didn't play was was right back and in goals. And that, and I'm talking like at a standard that was like Champions League. I played centre-half, centre-midfield, on the right, on the left, and also played up front. So I'd covered basically every position on the pitch at a, at a high level. So I, that's why I feel I've got a half-decent understanding of the game and how the game's and how the game's played in, in different positions. You played against Hearts quite a few times. 35 games, uh, won 16, drew 9, lost 10. You scored 5 and you were sent off once. What was <clears throat> what was it like playing against Hearts? Um, you know, for Rangers, for a lot of them, Motherwell as well, going to places like Tyne Castle. Was that a, a game that you enjoyed, especially, I suppose, when Hearts and Rangers played each other? Would it have been a, a fairly um, heated atmosphere? Yes, I'm, I'm actually, I didn't hear the full question because I was just thinking, I can't remember the red card. <laughs> I, I honestly, it must... Ibrox, Championship, 2014-15. Oh, right, oh, I do remember it, yes. I do remember it, sorry. Of course I do. And you weren't slow getting that answer in. Well, you, that was, <laughs> you, you answered that Rangers, one for a second there. I take hey, it. Ra- I take Rangers it won 2-1 that day. <laughs> no, Rangers won it 2-1. Yeah, but it didn't mean anything. Hearts are already Harris, in the league. Harris, Harris Vukcic. Remember yes, him? I remember. He, yes. he's, he scored. Good luck. Yeah, that was that was me and my and when I was going downhill in my career. Yeah, I think <laughs> you could see my legs were a bit weary. <laughs> and uh, I remember Osmond So. Um, I think it was Osmond So that day was, and any time he played um, against Rangers, um, he was he was a phenomenal player. But I remember that. Obviously, I remember that season where, where Hearts won it at a, an absolute canter under. Um, the current manager, obviously. I was going to say, you kind of forget who the manager was. <laughs> it's something we speak about quite a lot. Um, I loved, obviously, I knew the manager at the time um, and I loved his training methods uh, where you played on the Saturday, it was in the Sunday, off the Monday, so you get the recovery and, and get the video the analysis the, out the way. Um, he was just doing things a little bit different to the norm and um, and he was doing lots of double sessions, and and that's when we sort of first met, basically, and started uh, talking about training and football. So, um, going back to it, yes, Tyne Castle is very is a very daunting place to go for an away player. Um, the atmosphere very intimidating. It's like a fortress, especially um, when it's full, um, and you can see how passionate the Hearts fans are. Uh, and the demands um, that, they, that they put on the players 
and it's a certain type of player that, that can handle that pressure and the demands. Then it's a certain mentality the player has to have, um, and that's something we're trying to implement and recruit for um, this season and next. That's, that's an interesting point, Lee, because Jurgen Klopp has come out and said it's not the same at Anfield. We, they, they're kind of worth points to us at home. I commentate on Italian football over here and, and, and in the States, and Juventus, their coach Andrea Pirlo has come out and said it's, it's not ideal uh, from a, a similar perspective of a team that's favourites to win a division. Has it hindered you at all this season or at times when you've not played well, has it helped? Not having fans there? Yeah, you can look at both sides of it um, because you know, well, you two know as well as me that if if you're not playing well, that the fans will let you know. Um, <laughs> and that's not just... Uh, it's anywhere. Hats, it's not just... That's that's at big clubs. You, mm-hmm. you're, ex, you're expected to hear. If you're not doing well, you'll know all about it. And that's where the, the certain mindset comes in. But if you look at the other side, it, they, are, they are 100% a 12th man. You get um, players that that can play under no pressure. That are that are the best players in the pitch. But as soon as you put a crowd around them, you get training ground players as well. As soon as you get a, put a crowd around them, they can't lift their feet. They can't control the ball, and that, and it's something that that obviously we're aware of. Uh, the manager um, has sampled it before as a player and a manager. I have, and Gordon has over in in America as well. So we're, we're under no illusion how how difficult it can be, but that's where you need your strong mentality and your strong characters. And on the other side, yes, they can help you win the game. Speaking of strong mentality and character, Stephen Naismith, you won the Scottish Cup with him when you were at Rangers in 2009. He's still going strong at at 34. First of all, does he call you boss or assistant boss? And secondly, what's the future got in store for him, do you think? I think Naismith is a tremendous professional and he actually he always has been um, he's shown relent, relentlessness I would say in his career going down to England um, scoring hat-tricks against Chelsea really a real top top player but one thing you can't take away from um, is his attitude um, his mindset and how he conducts himself off the pitch, how he trains every day. I think um, he really is one for the younger ones, especially the younger ones in the squad um, to look up to. And my relationship with him, it hasn't really changed, to be honest. Mm. Nazi's, Nazi's, um he'll never call me coach, he'll never call me, <laughs> he calls me jig and that's it. Um, and, and I'm more than happy with that. I think Nazi's demanded respect from the coaching staff, and he knows as well, though, that if, if he's underperforming, he'll be told by the manager and the coaching staff. So, um, there is Nazi's a joy to work with, um, and he was a joy to play with, and a joy to have in the dressing room. Somebody, Nazi's somebody you want in the trenches with you if things aren't going well. So, it's, it's a real pleasure uh, to have him. Not every good co- uh, every good player becomes a good manager. Do you think he is well-suited to becoming either a coach or a manager in his future? He's definitely well-suited to become a coach. I think the, the management one is is one that you can speak about people that's that's want to be a manager. I haven't been there myself. I think uh, until they're in that situation, whether they enjoy it or not, is, is, a, is a different thing. 
Um, but Nasey is a coach. Nasey's acting like a coach just now, the way uh, he captains uh, the dressing room, he captains the club. Um, arguably, he has been a coach just now with the way he talks to the teammates on the pitch as well. So what I'm trying to say is he's been a coach without actually taking sessions. So that he's actually making um, the coaching staff's job a little bit easier um, with the experience he's passing on the, the lads as well. You've had um, a couple of short uh, spells as Kilmarnock boss. Uh, do you have a long-term aspiration uh, to be your own man, to be a manager outright again? No. Um, I, say, I, I don't, no. Um, I sort of get pressured into that one, and it's nobody's fault but my own for taking it, but I didn't really want it, to be brutally honest. I like, um, I like being a number two. I like having the manager's back giving the manager my opinion. I still like getting in and about the dressing room uh, for, a, for a laugh with the boys. And sometimes a manager, you need to sort of backstep that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I like to just get in and get, get involved with all the boys and, and have a laugh and try to get the um, try to get the help, get the dressing room going. Um, but they know, and the boys know, when that whistle goes at the start of the training session, um, it's no laughing anymore. We're down to serious business. Uh, and then when it's finished again, it's it's just about trying to create that atmosphere that I think we've got and we're slowly getting. Um, but there's a time for work and there's a time for play. So um, to really answer your question, no, I've got no aspirations of being um, my own man. I'm I'm quite happy um, to have the back and, and push and and sort of a question in the right way and get the manager thinking. Uh, he's a terrific. Man, he's a terrific manager, and to have we Gordy by my side as well. Actually, I'm learning loads, and I feel really lucky. When you're when you're um, having some light-hearted banter with the manager, do you ever talk about one of his last games as a player? I don't know if you remember this. I just talk about his long throw. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of his last games. Half, it just tells me get in the boat. <laughs> one of his last games was against you. I don't know if you remember this. Oh, this, please tell me. Please tell this, me. This, you'll like this. You'll love this, actually. So August 2013, he's probably... You, oh, don't you I don't write that down. August 2013. <laughs> <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't listed if you look on stats pages because Robbie Nielsen was a trialist for this game. So he was a trialist for East Fife against Rangers. And guess who scored a hat-trick and wore the captain's armband for Rangers that day? He didn't play that game. <laughs> he did. He was a trialist for his Fife, but he's not listed. Right. Um, Why give me two minutes to just phone on the now just to the mind? <laughs> <laughs> Five no Rangers, um, and you got a hat-trick. Right, okay. That, I think that was my first hat-trick in football as well. There was go. it? Well, yeah. There you go. There you go. I need to check the goals back again. Hopefully I've took them on fine. Nah, who am I kidding? I've never took a player on in my life. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I go see them behind them and uh, score. You never know. You never know. Um, in terms of players at Hearts just now, um, are there any that remind you a bit of yourself as a player? Um, as a player? Uh, no, not really. I, I think I've just sort of old-fashioned sort of striker player, I think, nowadays, especially younger ones nowadays in the, the academies that you've got. It's all, they're all trying to play total football. So in that sense, no, not really. Um, but 
I can empathise with, with a few of the, the younger ones that are, that are trying to break through and come through, or they've come in and they're trying to sustain a place in the squad. So it's good to, to chat with these guys, me and Gordon, quite, quite often. Um, Will, when, it's a, when we're allowed, be getting a lot of the young boys in for one-on-one meetings um, to challenge them, to, to set short and long-term goals for them. Um, and obviously players as well. But because of the, the current circumstances, it's hard to be, to sort of man-manage these players, um, obviously because of the the two-metre villain and, yeah. mm. and being in their, being in their um, company for, for over a, a certain period of time. It's, but, but I feel we're still working our hands behind our back slightly, only because of the circumstances. Um, because... What Gordon and myself like to do is get right under the skin of the player and, and uh, find out what, what he actually wants to do with his career, his life, uh, and try to make him a better player, obviously, but also try to make them a better person uh, at the same time. So um, I'm just looking forward to all the, the nonsense because away we can we can help do that and then and obviously get the fans back in the stadium because um, at times this season... Um, Probably last Saturday we could have been doing, we could have been doing them. Who's the best finisher at the club, Lee? Either in the first team or the kids? There's a question. Um, Liam Boyce, Nazy is very composed when he's finishing. Um, I know he's playing a little bit deeper these days. Uh, the reason I ask is because Craig Gordon has been sending videos of him taking penalties at training. And he wants to be considered as one of the best finishers at the club as well. You know, I've got massive respect <laughs> for Craig, but that's just ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? One, one that might surprise you, Ewan Henderson. Okay. okay. Fantastic finisher with both feet. Um, I think he just needs a little bit more confidence and belief in himself. He um, played just, as well, just as well he didn't miss from a yard out on Tuesday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, I know. you know what? I was delighted for him. That was his second goal for the club. He was um, going to be, um, sorry, he's cutting off. He, he was, I think he was more of a, an actual out and out striker for the youth or the reserves, if I remember rightly, a few years ago. Or I don't know if yeah. that's, I don't know if that's maybe, do you think that's a stronger position for him or if he is better coming off out the, um, out the, off the wings? I, th- I think he can, I think he can do both. I think he would probably say if he if pushed to choose, he would probably choose being a striker. Um, we played a, a couple of friendlies and like closed door friendlies in preseason, and one of the games uh, he scored four goals. Um, he, the the standard he's finishing was was phenomenal, um, so he can do it. It's just uh, maybe a little bit more belief um, in himself, um, and we can certainly help with that. Then then I think he could maybe uh, make an impact. Let's stick with the young kids because you you see them every day. This is one of the other things Hearts fans maybe look at a team selection at the weekend. And go, why is he playing or or whatever? And the, the point we make on this um, podcast is that we don't see them day in day out. We can't get to the Orium. I can't. I can't even get out of the country. Um, so, which young players at the club do you have high hopes for? We've we've heard about Harry Stone, um, the goalkeeper who Craig Gordon absolutely loves and says he's got a good future. What about some of the, the outfield players that you've seen since joining Hearts and thought, tell you what, kid, you've got a chance? Yeah, firstly, Harry Stone, I uh, completely agree with that. I love um, his attitude, um, and the young boys are in a little bit earlier uh, to help get the 
get the mannequins, the balls, everything uh, blown up and taken out to the training pitch so Gordon and myself can um, set training up. And Harry's always first in, uh, first to help 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 out. And then he's got ability as well. So I think I think there's two things you look for in, in young kids. They're, um, obviously, their ability. And then you look at their attitude. Um, and their attitude to get better. And their attitude to do the, what we call the, the not-so-fancy side of the game or the nasty side of the game is work hard um, and push yourself to the limits. So... Harry Stone definitely does that, and it's sort of something that we're, we're looking for for the boys coming through. But Cammy Logan's uh, at right back's impressed. He's come into the first team environment and done really well. Um, Connor Smith has been doing great, although he went out to a broth and due to circumstances at a broth because they were struggling a little bit. Connor was on the bench and getting the last 20 minutes and stuff. So I think the loan system is really important for the young boys to let them go out and experience real man's football in that first-team environment and then so they know what it's like because they can be spoiled coming in at the Orium, seeing what it's like, thinking that this is this is what it's like <laughs> in football. Mm. It isn't. You need to earn it. You, you, sadly for them, they need to go and earn it. But I think um, they too, just now, even Leo Watson, young left-back, the, the manager's given them all a chance from pre-season. He told them all, we'll give you a chance. You just need to impress us. And uh, certainly some of them have done that. Some of them back down. We're constantly testing their, their mindset and their, how much do you want it, really. Um, so, yes, I think the, the future is looking good um, for the club, for the young ones coming through. And obviously, you've still got Harry Cochran there, young boy, mm-hmm. um, who's arguably been an established first-team player and then he's, he's been caught out in loan. Um, so he's currently, obviously, because the leagues are, are not playing anymore, he's entering the first-team environment and now, just now as well. So, um, yes, I think there's, there's, a, there's a couple of good ones. If any of, of the boys there can have half as good a, a career as you had, then I think they would sign up for that right now. 18 caps for Scotland and a goal against Ukraine, six titles at various clubs and five cups. But my question is, was the highlight of your career in the 62nd minute at the Millennium Stadium in February 2006 when Paul Jewell said to you, right, Lee, we're 4-0 down against Man United. Cristiano Ronaldo's ripping the arse out of everyone. I want you to go on. And he was then replaced 11 minutes later. Man United didn't score. And since Lee McCulloch was on the field that day, Wigan did all right and didn't concede. Is that the highlight of your career? No, I actually, you know, I was I was starting every game that, and I was out with uh, Gilmore's groin. It was, and I think I, I managed to get back in about 20 days fully, and he says, listen, I can't play, you're not fit enough. And I sort of took the hump with him. He says, but I'll probably put you on. And he, he <laughs> shouted me over. Obviously, four the nil down. I had 4-0 down. I'm like, oh, thanks very much. I'm going on with 4-0 down. You want me to go and try and score five goals? But... Um, <laughs> That I remember that was a that was a footballing lesson that day. Um, Ronaldo was I remember him taking a touch in one wing and sort of keeping it up to about the middle of the pitch. It was it was head and shoulders um, above everybody. Uh, and obviously you've got a young, hungry Wayne Rooney, and I think Louis Saha played up front that day. So you he did, yep, him and Rooney. 
Yeah, not a bad standard <laughs> to play against it. Maybe a blessing that I didn't start that game. <laughs> you've um, in a previous interview, you've said Robbie reminds you a little bit of Walter Smith. What in what way? I think he's he's Walter had a quietness to him, he had a a deepness to him that you couldn't read him. So. He always, Walter used to stand back at training and go and like um, Coyster or whoever, take training. And he just used to stand, he used to feel his stare, even without him saying anything. So there was that sort of fear factor there with him because you didn't know if he was happy, angry. Um, so you're always at the top of your game every day in training. Um, he was more of a sort of man manager. And I can relate that slightly to, to Robbie. I call him Robbie, I never call him Robbie, I always call him Gaffer, but um, I can relate that to him um, because I feel their personalities um, and what they are as, as people are slightly the same. Now, I think it'd be fair to say that Walter maybe got a better record than the current manager of winning trophies, <laughs> slightly, but I think um, we all know that, that the current manager's young, He's still learning, like we all are. Um, and I definitely think he's going to have a, a fantastic future in the game. But we know, and hopefully that will come with massive, massive success at Hearts. What does that make you then, Archie Knox? Come on, come on, Archie Knox. <laughs> I remember doing his warm-up. He warmed us up one day when we were away with Scotland and the warm-up was 45 minutes. And it was like, remember the fart legs that you used to do? You used to run um, for a minute, then walk for 30 seconds, then sprint for a minute, then walk for 30 seconds. And a few of the boys had a little complaint about it. And after training, he went, went running the dressing room, ripping everybody and everybody <laughs> scared them. So that's, that's your old school tactics that I don't think you would get away with. Uh, <laughs> No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I was uh, like Archie. No, <laughs> although what a lovely man he is. What a lovely man he is. I wouldn't say I was uh, similar to him. I'm not sure uh, how much of the Hearts documentary on BBC that you watched recently, but um, I, I'm trying to imagine if you saw this, what your face would have been like when Gary Locke I knew you said about. Do you want, oh, come you on! He's going to go in about my teeth. I always knew it. He was texting well, me. Oh, come on, big man. I was only having a laugh. I, I only mentioned your teeth. I thought it would have been funny. I said, Lofty, what are you doing? <laughs> so, Honestly, he, he's, he's just jealous because his are like a row of tenement houses. One of, <laughs> one, every second one's been knocked down. He's from Bonnerig. I'm from Pennycook. We're not known for our dental -like abilities and hygiene. Come on now. <laughs> it's a good fight between you two then. What? Uh, no. <laughs> we'll so, save money on the, on the floodlights. What's going on there? Oh, about about my mouth, about my teeth. That's a bit harsh. I think they're nice. No, I, thank you, firstly. But there's a reason behind it. Before, everybody was saying, especially my missy was saying, you don't need your teeth done. Your teeth are fine. And I actually thought they were fine. But they were really sensitive. And I was going to the dentist basically every couple of months needing things done to them. So, and I, I was always played with a plate in because I had an operation when I was younger. So I was playing football with a plate and I always said, when I retire, I'm going to get my teeth done so they're not sore and I can get rid of this plate. So I eventually went and get them done and I knew I was going to get a bit of stick. Jeez. 
So I'm happy with it. I'm happy. Yes, it's, it's it's lovely. Finally, ending on a, a, a with a smile as well. No brighter smile than yours. Oh, tell us, <laughs> tell us something about the gaffer that we didn't already know. Oh come on, man! What do you, what do you want me to say? We've given you I'm we've not... given you that five 0 hat trick against them. You can give. You've got to give us something. I, I'll tell you one <laughs> one thing. It's not when I say it's funny, but it's something that surprised me. We either go a run every day or go to the gym every day. And I have never seen anybody lift weights like him. The, he's lifting probably double what I'm lifting. He's an absolute tank with his top off, ripped. Six-pack, big pecs, massive... John, John, John Collins-like or better than John Collins or not? I would say, I would say John Collins-like, yeah, but Ooh. I guarantee he's stronger than John Collins. Okay. <laughs> so, not so funny, but... That's the truth. Oh, we'll we'll that. take that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank Lee, you very thank much, you for, Lee. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> we both want to thank you for, for coming on. Um, there's also uh, the fact that we're on a Zoom call. We haven't paid for it. So we have 41 <laughs> minutes, and I think we've got about 20 seconds left. So thank you for coming on before we don't get the opportunity to say thank you. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much for inviting on, and I'd love to do it again if you guys... Wonderful. Definitely. Thank you very much, Lee. Appreciate it. Thanks, Lee. All the best. Thank you. Thanks. Very Cheers. Much. Bye-bye. 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 So that was Lee McCulloch chatting to us on Scarves Around the Funnel. And I think just, just what we expected, Mark. Uh, you know, how, from, how good was he? He, he was. He was, he was so good. So candid, open, honest. and uh, it's, it's just a big smile on his face. And don't, don't mention the teeth, because that was that was naughty of, of Lockie. I it mean, was. God's gift, Gary Locke. But just a, a, a guy who has had a really good career. I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff in there. No interest in being a manager. Had his spell yeah, at Kilmarnock, yeah. um, both times interim and then made permanent um, the second time. And it didn't work for him. And you can just you can just tell he's the conduit. He he's the kind of guy. He's the middleman between player and and coach. You can go to him with anyone. That's that's what you kind of need. And I know we had a, a laugh about Archie Knox and and so, so that's that's what he wants to be. He wants to be a coach. Um, interesting comment about Stephen Naismith as well when he was talking about he'd make an excellent coach. But I took from that. I'm not sure if if that would mean Stephen would want to be a manager or if he would be happy to to make others better as a coach. Because not everybody can become a good manager. But you can become a good coach and not be a good manager. So really interesting, really interesting. Yeah, no, it's good to... I've, and I've always got a bit of respect for for coaches who, who say that. Because it's... Mm-hmm, I think sure. it's... I can imagine... I mean, I'm not in that game. But I can imagine lots of people just want... Whether they whether they feel they're suited to it or have the ability to do it, will just want to be a manager because that's, yep. you know, that's where you get the limelight. That's where you get the mm-hmm. glory, isn't it? And he had plenty as a player yeah. of limelight and of, of glory, 11, 11 trophies, but he put his hand up and said, you know what, if, if, that's fine. There's a different route for everyone. And that's the route that, that he wants to take. And some very kind words about Robbie as well. Yes, indeed. Indeed, it was excellent. Um, before we go, I know you like a quiz these days, so I, I've i got five questions for okay. you. Now, we talked about debuts last week uh, because mm-hmm. Gary McKay-Steven had made his debut. So this week, 
keeping it relevant, I thought I'd talk about debut goal scorers. Okay. Um, so players who, of course, scored in their first game for Hearts, although the first one's got a bit of a caveat. So I've got five of these. We'll go through and we'll see if you can get them. Um, so player number one, I do have a year, but I'll see how you get on without me giving the year. But like last week, these are all in the last 20 years. So it's not... Um, in, fa- oh, in fact, the last one, 25, actually. I've got one that goes back 25. Okay. So player number one, scored on his league debut, but not on his competitive debut. So it was his first league game for Hearts. Mm-hmm. A home game against St. Johnston, a seven-goal thriller, and he scored the opener in the fourth minute. And if it helps, this was under our current manager. Aye, aye, aye. Um, any chance of a year? 2015. League debut. Um, game against St. Johnston. Seven-goal thriller, and he opened the scoring in the fourth minute. This is now a case of how quickly I can try and find stuff online while waffling at the same time. <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> I know. I know. I told you last week I'm, I'm, I'm all right with these questions when I've got the opportunity to have the answers in front of me and I'm just trying to make it sound like I'm, oh, I'm not sure. Um, he, well, I mean, it's 2015, so make a league debut. Uh, you know, It's likely to be a first game of the season or an early game of the season. Do you remember when Hearts played St. Johnston? So 2015, maybe 2015-2016. First season back up under Robbie Nielsen after winning the championship. First, first game, wasn't it? Yes. Juanma. Indeed. Juan Manuel Delgado Loria, who now okay. plays in the Japanese second tier, believe it or not. Um, league debut, Premiership opener, August 2015. 4-3 win against St. Johnston. Um, he had made his debut off the bench in the League Cup against Arbroath a few days earlier. So that was his first league game. Okay, very good. Um, Let's jump to another one. So um, I'm going to go to the oldest one I have out of these. So this one is mid-90s. So this player made his competitive debut in a League Cup second round match against Stenhouse Muir at Tynecastle. It was a one... Was was it uh, Hearts won that on penalties? Oh, yeah, very good. It was a 1-1 draw. It went to penalties and Hearts won 5-4. Stenis Muir had actually opened the scoring in the game from the penalty spot. Um, this player then came off the bench and replaced Paul Ritchie. Scored the equaliser. Do you know it before I go with any more, yeah? I do. Neil McCann. I remember yes. the game. Very good. I remember the game. Yeah, we won it's funny penalties. because because you because of you're slightly older than me and the fact you've been in the States... For the last ten years, your knowledge of mid nineties is probably better than your knowledge of twenty fifteen. <laughs> it's great. Give, give me FA Cup uh, finals from nineteen eighty four through to until two thousand. That'd be fine. But the last twenty minutes, um, yeah, we it was a it was because I would have never known that without um, without looking that up. Because I, I just I, I don't know why. I mean, that, what age was I? I was like nineteen at the time, and there was less nonsense in the head to clutter it up that that comes <laughs> when you get older so there's more room for kind of stats and nonsense stevie frail missed a penalty in that he did they missed a couple i think and, and we yeah. won on penalties yep um 
Uh, Neil McCann was 22. He'd signed from Dundee a couple of weeks prior. Stennis Muir got a red card, actually, in the 90 minutes. Um, Darren Beckford was the man who scored the decisive penalty for Hearts. And, of course, Hearts went all the way to the final, and the same player was man of the match in the final mm-hmm. that season. So there you go. Um, okay, let's uh, jump to another one. This is all just... The last three I'll just mix up. These are different years. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm kind of one for two, because there was a little bit of cheating for the first uh, one. Do remember McCann, but... Complete cheating. Juanma really, needed I mean, help. Yeah. No, it wasn't complete cheating. Don't be <laughs> like that. Don't be rascal. Next. Okay. Um, well, this one would have been... You would have you would have been commentating for Hearts TV around this time. So let's see if you get okay. this one. Uh, and Neil McCann's actually involved in the setup. So uh, 2000 and something, this person made his competitive debut at Tynecastle against Inverness in the SPL, scored the third goal in a 4-1 win with nine minutes to go. He was 18 at the time, and he came off the bench to replace Neil McCann. Oh, that's a good question. Um, that was a league game, wasn't it? SPL game. Yeah. He came off the bench to score. 4-1 win. He came off the bench, and he scored uh, the third goal in the 4-1 win with nine minutes to go. I can give you two other players who made their debut that game, if you like. Yeah, and I've... Thiago Costa made his debut for Hearts. Oh, he had good and, hair. And good hair. Marius Zaliukas made his debut for Hearts that game as well. Um, Andrew Driver. Yes. Hearts four, Inverness Cali Thistle one, August two thousand and six. Andy Driver, eighteen, off the bench, scored the third goal in a four-one win, and. I believe it was Mauricio Pena who added a fourth late on, although I haven't put that in front of me, but I think that's who did score the fourth. So, yeah, there you go. Okay, two more left. Um, I'll go with the, let's see, I'll go with the more recent one first. This is still, no, wait a minute. No, this was was just after. Where is it? Oh, this is around the time where you, I can't remember if this was just before or just after you finished working for Hearts. So Dundee, Dundee United at home, September 2010 was my last commentary. Okay, so it's after. It's after. Sorry, I was getting the year mixed up. Um, this player made his competitive debut in the Europa League and he scored a penalty kick to level the game 1-1 away from home. Was that Poch we played? It was, yes, Poch. Mm. It was the first European game I'd missed for about 20-odd years. Um, and it's the away game. It's the away game. Um, Hearts went yeah. 1-0 down and levelled on the stroke of half-time. Oh, Jamie Hamill scored in that game. Jamie Sorry. Hamill scored a yeah. penalty kick on his debut and ended 1-1. Debut. Yes, it was. Mm. Ended 1-1 and um, it was Paolo Sergio's team who ended up playing the second leg. It was his first game in charge. Um, and they won 4-1 in the home game. And then, of, of course, drew Spurs in the next round. Yeah, they got 0-0 in the second leg. I'm not sure yes. what happened in the first yeah, leg. Yeah, we'll forget about the first leg. Okay, I've got... Uh, okay, last one for Harry you. Kane, Harry Kane's debut mm-hmm. against Hearts. Penalty saved, penalty. yeah. yeah. Well, so Jamie saved, sorry. Didn't miss a penalty. Jamie saved it. He did. White Hart Lane. Mr. Jamie McDonald still going strong now. Um, okay, final one. Uh, so this is an older one. Uh, English striker makes his debut in a 2-1 home defeat to Dundee after signing on loan from Leeds United. Scored the equaliser in the first half before a Willie Faulkner winner. 
Um, Lee Jenkinson also made his debut in this match. So the player scored in his home debut, um, in his debut, full debut. And well, the guy, the guy, the guys we got from Leeds. I mean, obviously Henry Smith way back was 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 an out, uh, was a goalkeeper. We we signed Derek Lilly from Leeds. Was it yes, him? That's the one. Yeah, Derek I'm Lilly good. scored. I didn't, his, I didn't cheat there. No, his that's one good. and only Hearts goal uh, in a two-one home defeat to Dundee. He uh, this was December nineteen ninety-eight. So the season that Hearts struggled the year after winning the cup. He went on to play for Dundee United and Livingston, um, among others, and he, of course, scored against Hibs in the 2004 League Cup final, when Livingston emerged victorious, which they might do again this season. Do you know who else made his debut in that game? Lee, Lee Jenkinson. Did you just say that? And I, I just said that. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I hadn't done one of them for a few weeks, have I? No. <laughs> Honestly, it's like my... We're like a married couple. You just say something and I repeat it, and then you're like, "I've just said that." You have you? Yes. I'm sorry. That's very true. That's okay. Well, do, you know, you do you know who else made his debut in that game? <laughs> no. Oh, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, that's what it'll be like, and if scars are in the funnels going in 2047, what's that? Sorry, son. You've <laughs> we just be repeating wonder ourselves where, for. Wonder where hearts. Wonder what hearts will be, because we obviously didn't win the Champions League that Vlad promised. Not yet. Um, I, wa- I wonder. This this could be creative homework for you boys and girls. In 25 years' time. 25 years, see, yeah. See, season 2046-47. Mm-hmm. What does Scottish football look like? You know what? I would love nothing better than... And I know Celtic Rangers aren't wanted down south. They don't need them. But I would love nothing better than them to be playing elsewhere. And to be going about their business and doing what they like, and that would, I think, that would be a, a much more creative and hopefully competitive Scottish league. They would have a chance of actually winning a league title, whereas right now our only chance is, is a cup. So that, how about that for creative homework? Where do you think Hearts will be in twenty forty six forty seven? Okay, that's a good one. I like it. Give us a tweet at around the funnel or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk with yeah let us know maybe let us know what happens in the in the interim between now and 2046 2047 what will scottish football be like um interesting that's a good one uh it's been enjoyable uh thank you for tuning in and obviously thanks to lee mcculloch for giving Mm. up his time to come on and chat to us we're hoping that next week we can have um we can talk about a 100 percent winning record before the next podcast after we played on Firmland and not have a bit of both but um, at least we've managed to end on a high with that Tuesday victory over Wraith and we're hoping to extend the lead at the top and get some revenge over the pars at the weekend until then though thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time when you smiling when you smiling The whole world smiles with you, baby, baby. Yes, when you laughing, when you laughing, yes, the sun. Shining through 
Oh! 